Paul, Paul's feeling good. The rest of you are so-so. That's all right. We'll work on it. Um, all right. We are in part four of our series. We are hearing Jesus cl clearly. We are following Jesus closely. We are obeying Jesus completely. And the deal is, and you're all aware of this, you're aware that when you think of Jesus, most of us, when you think of Jesus, the picture that comes to mind would have looked nothing like Jesus. He wouldn't have had blonde hair. He wouldn't have had blue eyes. He wouldn't have looked like a dainty little rose. And that tends to be how modern Western Americans think of Jesus. And so we, just like we have to deconstruct that picture of Jesus, we in some sense have to deconstruct our ideas of Jesus and rebuild them the way that we see in the Gospels. And that's what we've been trying to do. And there's this amazing verse, I don't have it on the screen, so you're just going to have to take my word for it or look it up, in John chapter 1, verse 14, that tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Like, if you met him, you'd be like, that guy accepts me, that guy is warm, that guy is kind, that guy is gracious, that guy is loving, I like that guy, and that guy will tell me how it is. He will tell me exactly what I need to hear. He won't cut corners. He won't pretend something isn't the way it is. He won't act like everything's okay when it's not. He is full of grace and he is full of truth. And you would want to be around that being. And that's what we've been trying to explore this whole time. Buying stuff online is this uh, exercise in trust. I don't know if you've ever bought something online, for example. I got a picture here. You might decide you want to buy a carpet online, rug carpet embroidered. One customer review, that's not so great because you never know what you're going to get. And when it actually shows up, it might look something like that. <laughs> you ever had something like that happen? Uh, I like this one. This is a dinosaur pillow for a young child. And how wonderful is that? He can snuggle up and he can have sweet dreams of Jurassic Park while he's uh, resting all the way through the night. Uh, but sometimes what you get up is very literally what you ordered. <laughs> And it's a pillowcase with a picture of this other person's child. And you're like, wait, what's going on there? Yeah, they, that's what they ordered, and that's exactly what they got. If you're thinking about uh, a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, you know, one thing that you could do is you could get your loved one a pillow with your face printed on it. And that would be a really nice thing to do. You could put it on the couch. I have a picture of that if you want to go to the next slide. Uh, and that, wouldn't that be, that's a lovely thing to do. It's a nice gesture. And when they're gone, when they're traveling or when they're away, you can snuggle up against that pillow that has a picture of their face on it. And then when you get that in the mail, it'll be also just exactly like you imagined it. If you go to the next slide. <laughs> Terrifying, right? I still think it'd be kind of a cool Christmas gift. Used stuff online is the next level of trust. Um, and often people just don't show. They don't, you know, you put something out there on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and they say, is this thing for sale? They never, you never hear from again or they'll offer you something ridiculously low. You have it listed for $50 and they'll say, will you take $2? And you're like, this is, come on, this isn't even serious. What are you doing? Uh, sometimes they'll say, yes, I'm going to buy it. I'll pay you the full amount. I need to be, uh, can I pick it up at midnight at your house? And you're like, no, <laughs> we're going to be asleep. What, are, what is, it's the, uh, the online marketplace, the used online marketplace is insane. Uh, there's this one time I was making this purchase uh, for one of my children. I was buying this used product and they suggested wisely that we meet at the front entrance to a grocery store. That's exactly what you should do. You should never meet at your home. You should never meet at their home. That's how people get murdered. So they said we should meet at the grocery store. Good. Public place. I get there. And you're never sure if they're going to show. 
You're never sure if you just made this trip for nothing. And I'm standing at the entrance to this grocery store. And this gentleman rides up on his 10-speed, old-school 10-speed with the curved handlebars, just smoothly gets off it and says, hey, watch my bike while I go in the store. And I'm like, was that the guy? What's... He just got off his bike and walked into the store. And I happened to take a picture of it, put it on social media when this happened. And I'm like, I'm a total stranger. He doesn't know me from anybody. And all of a sudden, I've agreed to watch his bike. And now I feel like I'm obligated to do it. And how long is he going to be in there? What if he never comes back? I don't know this person at all. I have no level of trust in him like he does in me. I didn't even really get a good look at him. So I'm not entirely sure that the guy that came back out of the store to take the bike was actually him. I don't know. There was another gentleman I have a picture of uh, that walked out with the bike, and maybe that was him. I don't know. But it was so, it was so wild. It was the strangest. I, I was just like, well, I guess. Here you go, unless this guy just got a free bike. Here's what's strange about that. It, well, here's my takeaway, actually. I just assumed that I must have a very trustworthy demeanor or face. Yes, that's exactly what I think, Travis, who's shaking his head. I think I just must be a trustworthy guy. This, this guy rolled up to the grocery store, and he's like, that guy right there, he will take good care of my bike. I'm going to leave it with him without even asking. Or he has some serious faith in humanity. Now, as we explore this last part of this series, I do want to ask a question that at first is going to seem a little basic because you're going to be like, oh, come on, we're at church. Why do we have to talk about what is faith? Of course, everybody knows what faith is. We use the word all the time. Uh, didn't, uh, didn't George Michael have a song about it? I mean, we just, we know what faith is. Do we really have to ask a question? Come on, Patrick, let's get into something deeper. But there is confusion around the idea of faith. There's confusion in this room about the idea of faith. If I were to go around the room asking each of you how you would define faith, we would get different answers or you would quote Bible verses that you weren't quite sure what they meant. There is some murkiness, some uncertainty around the concept of faith. And as we talk about this definition or this idea this morning, I think it's going to help us as we think about this relationship that we have to Jesus to define what is faith. There's an author by the name of Sam Harris. I don't know if anybody knows who he is, but he said, faith is belief in specific religious propositions without sufficient evidence. That doesn't sound very charitable, and that's not very charitable because Sam Harris is an atheist. And he wrote a book called The End of Faith. And this was his proposition about what faith, how faith is defined. Another atheist wrote, faith is an unreasonable conviction which is assumed without reason and defended against all reason. Another atheist. Again, also not charitable. Now you're thinking like, wait, why would you tell us what atheists think faith is? That's not very helpful for us understanding faith or defining faith. The reason I'm telling you that is because this is how a lot of Christians define faith. They have the same exact proposition as a couple hardcore atheist guys. I've met so many Christians who say, hey, if we had evidence, we wouldn't need faith. Do you believe the Bible is true? How do we know the Bible is true? Well, we just have faith because there's no evidence that it's true. That's why it's faith. And I'm telling you, that's baloney. That is not faith. That is a misapprehension, a misunderstanding, maybe well-intentioned, but that's not what faith is. That's not what it's about. And I've heard that so many times from Christians. They'll say something like that, and I'll just have to kind of like bite my tongue a little bit because I don't want to get into a whole thing. I can't preach a whole sermon right there at them. But that's not faith. Is God real, Patrick? Well, yeah, there's some... No, we don't know, have any evidence, and that's why it's faith. If you have evidence, it wouldn't be faith. No, <laughs> that's not how faith works. Gets me a little wound up. Because if that's how faith works, think about some of the claims that we make in Scripture or that we read in Scripture. For example, if that's a definition of faith, we don't know, 
What does it mean to be saved by faith? Be saved by a lack of evidence? We just have to, I guess, assume it's kind of true, I hope, and there's there's no basis, there's no proof. Or when Jesus said, you of little faith, what was he saying? If it's just an assumption that something is true, even though there's no evidence that it's true, is what is he asking for? What is he saying you needed more of to the, the, the followers? Or how about Mark 1.15? This was the message of Christ. How do you repent and believe? Which, by the way, interestingly, is the same word. All three of those words are exactly the same word in Greek. How do you repent and believe the good news if belief is just thinking something is true without evidence? Well, is that what God is asking for us? Man, no wonder atheists think we're off our rocker because they think we're just assuming things are true and there's no substance for it. There's no, there, we, we know faith is basic, but there's no solid, clear explanation for what it is. Now, part of the problem is that in English, we use a variety of words to define a single concept. And in Greek, there's one word or at least um, variations of one word. And we define it different ways. But in Greek, it's defined one way. So, for example, we use words like belief and faith and confidence and reliability and trust and conviction. And those all essentially are translating the same word or noun, verb, adjective forms of the same word. In Greek, there's one word, just one word, and they use it in different ways. The Greek word is pistis, which we don't have to go around saying because it feels weird to say. But maybe the best way to translate it for us this morning, for our purposes, is the English word trust. We're going to try to encompass all those ideas with the single English word trust. All right? Trust. So we translate it differently, but the verb translated believe is actually the same Greek word. The adjective translated trustworthy is the same Greek word, and the noun translated faith is the same Greek word. So believe, trustworthy, faith. They're all in the same universe of ideas, right? But they mean different things to us. When we hear them, we mean different things. We think of different things. You guys know the Mentos and Coke thing, Mentos and Diet Coke, right? You ever done that? There's this great video, I don't have it, but this great video of a grandson, and I don't know why grandparents go along with this stuff, but his grandson is introducing his grandmother to the Mentos and Coke thing, and she's holding the Coke bottle, and he's like, yep, just slide it right in, and of course it explodes all over her, and he's a terrible grandson. But you guys have seen that, right? For some reason, when you put Mentos and Coke, something happens, right? A Diet Coke, you can do it, they've actually done a whole range of them, but Diet Coke works the best, it has the biggest explosion. What's going on when you slide Mentos into Diet Coke? A chemical reaction. Boy, a bunch of scientists in the room. I don't know actually what's going on. You can read about it, and they'll tell you exactly what are the details. But there's something sciencey happening. But when you bring those two elements together, it has a reaction. There is a reaction. And I'm going to make the case that faith is something like that, that there's a reaction. So I want to illustrate it uh, this way. I want to bring up, uh, I want to have uh, the ladder Will you bring me up a ladder? And if you can't see the ladder on stage because you're short or whatever, you'll see it on the screen here. But there's a ladder that Presley's going to bring up for me. Wow, good job, Presley. People will really applaud at anything. Man, that is pathetic. That is super sad. Okay, all right. This is a great... Don't go anywhere, Presley. I told you I wasn't going to do this, but I changed my mind just now. All right. Stay here. Stay, just stay here. This la- I, w- I just want you to know, this ladder has been through some stuff. Right here, you know. It's seen some things. 
It's painted some walls. It's hung some fixtures. It's been around. You know what I'm talking about? This ladder uh, has been around. Um, so, Presley, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you think about this ladder? Just, just shout it out. What do you think about this ladder? It's bad. Okay. <laughs> yes, that is his scientific opinion. It is bad. Oh, I just felt a crack right there. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, Presley actually said, did you make that ladder? And I was like, no. No, uh, I'll tell you where I found it here in a second. But I asked Presley earlier this week what he thought about this ladder, and then I asked him to get on it, and I'll show you a picture of that in a second. But I'm really debating whether or not I should have Presley climb the ladder this morning. What do you guys think? Boy, we're really 50-50 here. I think half the people want to see you go to the hospital, and then the other half are like, no. All right, you can have a seat. I'll bring, I have a picture of Presley I'm going to show you in a second. Thanks, Presley. I don't... Yeah, I know. We let him off the hook, really. That would have been the real initiation. This ladder's been through some stuff, right? But I can look at it, and I can say, uh, without too much risk, I can, I can decide whether or not it seems worthy. And this ladder, I don't know, it really doesn't, it doesn't seem great. But, it, you know, if you're not too afraid of heights, you might be able to climb it. And it's probably not that big of a deal. Some ladders will have a little label on here, and it will say, like, hey, it can only hold whatever, 200 pounds, 400 pounds. How many ladders will say, do not, do not stand on the top step? And I'm like, why is there a step there if you're not supposed to step on it? Put something else there. How many of you have ever stood at the top step of a ladder? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, in fact, can I tell you just a super quick story about Travis about 40 years ago? It's, it's amazing that Travis is alive and that his children are here. But I witnessed Travis standing at the top step of a ladder with a chainsaw straining to reach a branch. And I'm like, this could be very interesting. This is, and he's still alive. But he's not afraid of heights. Travis has a lot of what we might call faith. Now, if I'm assessing, if I'm assessing this ladder, if I'm looking at this ladder to judge its sturdiness and whether or not it can hold me, my knowledge of this ladder in English, we would call this belief. We would say, I know about this ladder. I believe in this ladder. That's how we would translate the concept. But that's not how the Greek uses the word. The Greek would not call this faith. It would not say to know something to be true is faith. That's not, they wouldn't stop there. And you Christians, you know that. You've been taught that all your lives. It's not enough to know. Belief is important. Knowledge is important. But belief is not faith. If you have your Bibles, you really should look up John chapter 20, verse 24. There's a great story in there about, um, about a guy named Didymus. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus. By the way, anybody here, uh, is it not up there? Verse, now Thomas, known as Didymus? I guess I don't have it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Now Thomas, known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We saw him. We know it. We saw him. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And Thomas got the nickname Doubting Thomas. And I've always thought that's such an unfortunate thing because Thomas just needed a little evidence. And it's okay to have a little evidence. It's okay to, to want to, to see this. Now, it's a little gross. You want to put your finger in his side? You want to touch the nail holes? That's a little much, but it's okay to want evidence, right? It's okay to examine the circumstances. But you know what? I, the more I think about this story, the more I think Thomas was kind of being stubborn. Think about this. 
Ten of his closest friends say, Thomas, buddy, I promise you, we saw Jesus. And Thomas was like, "Mm -mm. unless I actually stick my finger in the wounds, I will not believe. The other day, our family was coming home from Wednesday night services, and it was dark outside. We had parked in the driveway or walking in the front door. Our uh, daughter Avery was a little bit behind the rest of us, and she said, uh, she, I had gone inside, and she kind of shouted. It wasn't like a panic, but it was like this excited shout, like, Dad, you got to get out here. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? So I run outside to see what's going on, and she points up in the sky, and we see these lights. It might be a couple slides ahead. We see these lights in the sky. That's kind of weird, huh? And I'm looking up at the sky, and I'm like, wow. I've never seen anything like this. And I'm a little prone to the dramatic, so I was like, Avery, this is a UFO. (laughs) I told her that because technically it is. It is an unidentified flying object that I have never seen. It is a UFO. And so we called Liam and and Corrine to come, come outside. you got to see this. And we're pointing up in the sky. And as they came out and they looked up the sky, the lights had just faded. They had disappeared. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, we saw something crazy. I don't know how to explain it. It was this string of lights in the sky. It wasn't drones. They were way too far away. How could it be satellites? What would satellites, why would they look like that? It had to be something wild. And if my son and my wife had said i will i refuse to believe that you saw something crazy unless i see it with my own eyes i would be like wait come on do you not trust me do you not trust avery do you think we're pranking you it would be a little too much on the skepticism dial if they were like refusing to at least acknowledge that we had seen something wild and that's what thomas was doing 10 of his closest friends. Did they mess with him all the time? Did they think that, that, that he was being, did he think he was being pranked? I mean, come on, like 10 of your closest friends say, Thomas, we're not messing with you, buddy. I promise, just like Jesus said that he was going to come back, we saw him. So you see, I used to be a little more sympathetic to Thomas, but can't you see that Thomas is being, I don't know, he's being a little bit of a jerk, a little bit, right? Come on, Thomas, just, just, like believe now i know i know that's asking a lot to say that somebody came back from the dead but at least he could have said like wow okay that's pretty wild i've never seen anything like that and maybe ask some questions could it have been a look-alike could it have been somebody that just really could have been one of jesus brothers i mean could it have been but he was like no unless i touch the wounds unless i put my hand in his in his side i will not believe a week later verse 26 His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, or in Hebrew it would be shalom. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And Jesus says, Stop doubting. And when he talks about stop doubting, he's not saying it's unreasonable to want evidence. He's not saying you shouldn't need knowledge. He's not saying you shouldn't check the ladder out and check the the rating on it. He's not saying that. He's saying stop being so skeptical that you can't allow the convincing evidence that I have laid before you to allow you to be moved to believe that I have come back. That's what he's saying. Stop doubting. And believe. I, I don't think Thomas actually needed to do a medical examination of Jesus. And Jesus was not saying wrestling with doubt is wrong. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. It's okay to legitimately wonder. But what Thomas was doing was having faith in his own senses 
and totally disregarding all the evidence that he had been offered. And Thomas said to him, verse 28, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Remember, that's the same Greek word. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Not seen and believed? So Sam Harris and that other guy were right. We don't need evidence. So faith is not having evidence. Story's not over yet. Verse 30, this is, this is so cool because John's writing the story to us and he pauses the action and he looks at us, the reader. He breaks the fourth wall. He looks right at us and he said, hey, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these ones, I selected these ones that you might believe. I've given you the substance. I've given you the information. I've given you the knowledge that you need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You have evidence. He's not saying belief is a lack of evidence or faith is a lack of evidence. He's saying you have it. And now you need to decide what you're going to do with it. The gospel is helping us check the sturdiness of the ladder. It's okay to kick the tires. It's okay to read the reviews. That's okay. But then the question is, will I actually climb the ladder? I've got another picture here I want to show you. So I just wanted to prove that Presley actually did this. Uh, you should come look at this ladder because I'm serious. This is, I didn't tell Presley this at the time, but I found this at the side of the road. It was free. And it was free because somebody was like, yeah, this is not worth using anymore. I'm throwing it out. And I'm like, oh, I'll give it second life. So there's some couple, you know, new pieces of wood and screw holes. So Presley got up here and he's looking pretty happy. But I challenged him a little bit more. I was like, I didn't also know this. Did you know Presley's scared of heights? And he, I said, Presley, you need to go one more step. One more step. And he's like, does my job depend on it? <laughs> and I said, yes, it does. We're going to have to find somebody new if he can't do this. But I want you to show, tell me a little bit about his body language. <laughs> now, here's the thing. This is a really good illustration because Presley looked at this ladder and he's like, I don't trust this ladder. I don't trust it. But you know what he did do, even just to get to this third step right here? He trusted me. He trusted me because I said, I'll drive you to the hospital if something goes wrong. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't sure about the ladder, but he was like, well, if Patrick's asking me to do it, he only has my best interests in mind. He would never let me do anything to humiliate myself. So I trust him. Now we might call, this is the, in English, we might call climbing up the steps of the ladder, faith, the activity part, the action part. The belief is like, okay, is the ladder sturdy? How are we doing? Did Jesus really come back from the dead? Do we have witness evidence? Do, how, do, how do we know? Yeah, I'm checking it out. But we would call the activity part of it faith. That's what, how we would define that word. Um, but the problem is, is the Bible would not call that faith. Because faith in a rickety ladder, it'll still collapse, Right? How many of you who have been at the very top step of the ladder have ever fallen off the ladder? Yeah, several. Okay, Travis has with a chainsaw. <laughs> Must have been fun to see. Yeah, faith in something that doesn't deserve our faith isn't really going to, it doesn't mean it's going to stay standing. There's an author by the name of uh, Rachel Bostrom who's a trust expert, which is kind of interesting. She 
she studies trust for a living and institutional trust. So like, for example, whether or not people have trust in government organizations or companies and how to build trust in those things. And she defines trust as a confident relationship to the unknown. And there's two of these in there just for a little extra. Confident relationship to the unknown. And I think that's an interesting definition because it sounds strikingly familiar to a definition in the Bible in the book of Hebrews where the author writes that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. It's kind of, it's so fascinating to me when humanity stumbles onto biblical truths that they could have just read. But it's so interesting how faith is defined by this confident relationship to the unknown. When my youngest, Liam, was about 50 pounds lighter, we did, and I think a lot of dads do this, uh, we would go to the steps at our house. We have about, uh, it's a half step, so it's about, or a half staircase, so it's about eight steps tall. And he would start at the bottom, and he would get used to that. He would jump off the bottom, and I would catch him, and then he would go a little higher and a little higher. And he got to the point where he'd go to the very top step. It was about six feet up. And he would go to the very far end of the hallway, and he would get a running start, and he would just launch himself off the top step, and dad would catch him. And it was fun. I don't know what it is about being a dad. It's fun to put your kids' lives in danger. I don't know why Liam's had four broken arms. I have no idea. It's, I'm sure, totally unrelated. But he would get a little bit more daring each time, a little bit higher each time until he was at the top of the half staircase. Um, and it's just, I just want you to imagine, I don't have a picture of it. I thought I had recorded it somewhere, which was a tricky thing to do to try to record Liam jumping to me and catching him. But I did it, and I couldn't find the video. But just imagine this tiny little body flying through the air like a, like a guy in a parachute. Just arms spread, legs spread, just pure joy on his face as his dad caught him. As his dad caught him. Liam had tested the waters. We had gone up a couple steps at a time. And then he had gotten to the point where he was confident that he could launch himself off the top step. Pure joy. Pure joy. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, a Roman soldier, a Roman officer, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, no, Lord, I, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And what he's saying is, is he's saying, like, I understand that you cannot come into my place. I understand the cultural issue there, cultural situation. A Hebrew person wasn't supposed to go into the house of a non-Hebrew person. But this centurion said, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he doesn't. I know that you can do this, Jesus, and I have traveled here to ask you to do it. And then when Jesus heard this, verse 10, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in the entire country of Israel with such great faith. Now, what's he saying? Is he saying this centurion didn't test the waters, didn't learn a little bit about Jesus? No, he's saying this centurion got a running start down the hallway and leapt off the top stairs saying, Jesus, I know you can do this. You don't even have to come close to the house to do it. I know that you can do it. He leapt off the top stairs. Jesus would have been fine with a bottom rung. Like, hey, even a little faith, right? He said, even if you have a little faith, you can move mountains. So this is how we have to define biblical trust. It's knowledge. I, have, I, I believe the claims of Jesus are true. I believe that the eyewitnesses actually saw him. 
I believe that these people who say, I saw Jesus with my own eyes and I will go to the grave as a witness of that fact, I, I trust them. I think that's reasonable to trust them. But it's not faith until we climb up the steps and we start launching ourselves off. Faith is this belief, it's this knowledge, but it's this action. It takes, and the great faith takes a running start and leaps off the top step. It's the chemical reaction, the Mentos and the Diet Coke, it's the things that come together. That gives a little bit more color to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I am saved by launching myself into the truth of Jesus. I, I, when Jesus said, you have little faith, he's like, hey, you have plenty of reason, you have plenty of evidence, but you're not launching yourself into the truth. You're not living by this reality. Or repent and believe the good news. You're not, you're not reorienting your life around this idea, this reality. We launch ourselves toward Jesus. Liam, when he was about the same size, I guess we never covered the basics of what he was supposed to do and not do, but one time I was standing near the stairs, and we hadn't agreed that he was going to run and I was going to catch him. So I was standing kind of half-turned, and I see this little 30-pound torpedo flying through the air at me, blindside tackle me. And of course, I couldn't catch him, and he fell to the ground, and he's crying in tears, and his dad has failed him. His dad can't couldn't catch him that time and I'm like buddy I'm so sorry you had too much faith in me I wasn't able to catch you I wasn't aware that was too much faith in your dad and of course that's a tough little lesson for kids to learn right oh sometimes my parents don't know what's going on I appreciate that you trust me but you trusted me beyond my ability we've called this series grace and truth because John said that Jesus was full of these things, meaning that he was grace and he was truth all the way down to the core of who he was. You're never going to dig past the grace. You're never going to get past the truth. And that's a good thing because I, I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a pretty nice guy, but there is a limit to my, my niceness. You can get below the niceness and then it's not so nice anymore. I can muster up a little patience, but my patience only goes so deep. And then once you get below that, then it's not there anymore. What John is saying is that the grace of Jesus goes all the way down. If you trust in the grace of Jesus, he will never let you drop to the ground. That's what John is saying. It's endless. It's bottomless. He is full of grace and truth. I'm partially full of grace and truth, but I run out. Every time you leap from the top of the stairs... Jesus will catch you. So here's where we are in this series. We have to hear Jesus closely. We have to, or hear Jesus clearly, follow Jesus closely, obey Jesus completely, and then trust Jesus more. Don't you wish that had been a C word too? Trust Jesus? I couldn't think of one, but we have to trust Jesus more. Here's where this gets real. What is for you the next step up the ladder? What is it for you? Because a lot of us got to a certain place, like Presley, I couldn't coax him any higher than this, and that was as far as he was going to go. He had, he had exerted all the faith that he had in me and in this ladder. He wasn't going to go anymore. And I think a lot of Christians are there. You've exercised some faith, but you've maxed out. You've plateaued. There's more that God is asking you to do, but you're not doing it. Because for whatever reason, your capacity to believe in God or your capacity to trust Jesus, it's just you've hit the max. And there's more that you know you should do, but you're not 
doing it. What does trusting Jesus, what is that next step for you? Alex May, he's back here in the back. His grandparents uh, were well into their retirement. They had lived a very full, dedicated to God life. And in the second or third or fourth act of their life, you know what they did? They packed up their stuff and they moved to Haiti. Haiti, because they heard that there was an opportunity for them to support a work that was happening in Haiti. Do you know what Haiti's like? It's not a vacation destination. There are some of you in this room that won't drive into Minneapolis because you're too scared. And these folks packed up their stuff well into retirement and moved to another country where the news that comes out of that country is rarely, if ever, good. Why? Because they're the type of people who run to the back of the hallway, get a running start, and leap off the top of the stairs because they are full of faith. They are full of trust. They believe. We just watched a video of, uh, of Bia Edwards. She graduated high school. What should high school graduates do after high school? They should go to college. Maybe if they're a little wishy-washy, they could take a gap year and they could travel the world backpack through Europe. But Bia was like, you know where I'd like to go, Mom and Dad? I'd like to go to Pakistan. Pakistan. Have you ever met anybody who was like, you know what, sounds like a nice place to go? Pakistan. How many of you, this is serious, how many of you in this room looked at Travis and Anna and were like, what are you guys doing? Letting your daughter go to Pakistan? That's not a safe place for young women. Why are you doing that? Do you know why Bia did that? Do you know why Travis and Anna let her do that? Because they're the type of folks who believe so deeply, who trust so deeply in Jesus that they climb to the top of the stairs and they launch themselves off into his arms. That's why. And the rest of us are struggling with this first step. And I get it. And I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself because you can barely get off the ground. Even one step is a good start. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. But the rest of us, we, you don't trust God. That's what you're saying. Or you tr I'll trust you this much, but no more. I'm inspired by people who it's hard to take that step of faith. It's hard to know that something is real and something is true. It's hard. It's hard to forgive somebody in the face of insult. That's hard to do. But we're called to do that. That's a step of faith. It's, it's, hard to, to, uh, it's hard to volunteer and teach the little kids. For some of you, you've been asked by Logan dozens of times. And you're like, nope, 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 nope. Why? Because it's hard. And that would be, a, for you, a step of faith. Or maybe it's downgrading your lifestyle to make room for generosity. Maybe it's putting some effort into your marriage after years of neglect. That's a hard thing to do, but that's a step of faith saying, I believe I need to do this. I believe Jesus is real. I believe he's calling me to do this thing. Some of you may need to take that running leap and you need to get baptized. That's what you need to do. You need to believe in that and take that leap into trusting Jesus in that way. For some people, I know, I get it. It's just showing up on a Sunday. I get it. And that's okay. We'll start there. That's all right. For some others, maybe it's just getting coffee with someone who feels like they're a little bit further up the ladder than you are and asking them some questions. There's this old hymn that we sing a lot, or we don't sing a lot. We actually haven't sung it in a long time. And 
I was surprised because Liam came to, to Corrine this week and asked if we could sing this song. And it's not a song that maybe you think of, or you certainly don't think of a 10-year-old singing, but he wanted us as a church to sing the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And I'm like, that is perfect. That is perfect. It, it is sweet to trust in Jesus. And you can talk to people who have placed their trust in Jesus, and they feel pretty good about it. Is life easy? No, that's not the point. It doesn't say it's easy to trust in Jesus. It's sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word to have proved him over and over, like the song says. And then it says, oh, for grace, to trust him more, to take that next step. But I, I, I know, I know, there, I know you're in this room, and I know that you know what the next step of faith is, and you're hesitant because you're scared of heights, or you don't trust the ladder, or you're not sure, or your life is too comfortable, and you know what you need to be doing. You know the next step, step of faith that you need to take, but you just haven't. And so we need, to, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is full of grace and truth, and it is sweet to trust him. We're going to invite the praise team up on stage to sing this with us. Let's go ahead and stand together. Let's sing about our faith. Let's sing about our trust in Jesus.